Welcome to church. My name is Hannah. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series that focuses on Philippians. Pastor Barry will be going through Philippians 2 verses 3 to 4 with his message titled, Address the Mess. If you're new here, we would love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199, and we'll get right back to you. Head to calvarycommunity.ca slash serve to see how you can get involved here. On the page, we have different ministries you can join, engage with community, and see a little bit about what's going on here at Calvary. Make sure you're staying up to date with our social media and our rolling announcements. We've got a lot of events that we don't want you to miss. We're so glad that you could join us today. In the summer between my second and my third year of my undergrad, I'm in Winnipeg getting ready to be a counselor at a Youth for Christ camp just outside of the city. I'm there a few weeks early in order to catch a a lifeguarding course. And part of our training was to be taken out in the lake or at the lake near the camp. And for some reason, everybody else has gone on already. And so I am riding in a vehicle with Jeff. He is our instructor. Now, Jeff isn't a follower of Jesus Christ. He doesn't know much about the Bible, doesn't understand what it means to be a part of the church. And as we're leaving the city, Jeff is asking me questions about why I'm going to Bible school, things that I'm learning there. And I'll never forget where we were on the highway as we were leaving Winnipeg. We were coming up to this overpass, and he asked me where I'm headed once I've graduated, once I've completed my schooling. And honestly, I didn't know the answer to that question. All I knew is that there was a call in my life to be a pastor, and so my answer went something like that. Well, he didn't understand what that meant, and so we talked more. And somehow, in that conversation, I had said something about being a pastor of a large church, and his response was striking to me. He looks at me abruptly, and he says, well, why does it have to be a large church? And I felt caught. I didn't know why. And when I shrugged my shoulders, he said, well, that just seems odd to me. He says that it would have to be a large church. Why not just any church? And then he goes, what's going on inside of you that it needs to be that? I didn't have an answer for him. And the answers that did come inside 
I didn't want to admit. Well, we are in a series in the book of Philippians. You'll find it in your table of contents as the 11th book of the New Testament of the Bible. It is a letter from the Apostle Paul who was writing from house arrest in Rome. You see, in that day, it was expected that people would worship Caesar as God, but Christians, including the Apostle Paul, here believed that they, would, they were only to worship Almighty God through Jesus Christ because Jesus is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And therefore, Paul is awaiting trial before Caesar Nero to determine the fate of his life. One of the themes that the Apostle Paul writes here to this church in Philippi is unity. He and this church have a great relationship. They love each other deeply, but he is concerned that he's concerned about how they are getting along with each other. There is evidence that there is some conflict brewing, and he's concerned that it will, uh, it will take over and destroy the church. And he wants to nip this one in the bud. Last week, we looked at how Paul was seeking to maintain or to motivate them to pursue unity, to maintain unity, those things that they can be doing to create, that help create and maintain unity. It was a positive side. Well, today, he goes after some of the things that cause a mess in our relationships. In letters to other churches like the church at Corinth, or the, the churches in Galatia, perhaps also the, the church at Ephesus and at Colossae. He addresses all kinds of things like lying and stealing, uh, gossip and slander, coarse joking and, and obscene langry, uh, language, angry outbursts and malicious behavior. He even talks about things like sex before marriage and adultery and how we express ourselves sexually. He talks about what we worship and, and close, hold closest to our heart in this world. These things all are all things that make a mess in our relationships. But they also hinder our relationship with God. And so the things that the Apostle Paul writes here in our particular text today are certainly not all-encompassing. They're not everything that, that needs to be addressed, but they are very significant because these ones in particular have something to say to us about unity. So let's look at our text. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful because even when it talks about things I don't want to talk about, I know it's good for me. It's good for us. It's good for our church community. It's good for as we relate within small group. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, that, you, that your word would come alive for us today, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, and God, that you would correct us and you'd bring conviction where we need it. Holy Spirit, we just open up our spirit to you. We tune our ears to you. And we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do we begin to address our mess? Paul says here, the first thing we do is reject selfish ambition. 
Verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition. At the heart of selfish ambition is self-interest, self-promotion. It means that, that the things that are most important to us, things that we will pursue in life, things that we want out of life are the things that will build us up. Those things that will make us feel good or look good. It may be that we believe a certain status, a certain amount of money, a certain position of power and authority will make us feel valuable and significant. Selfish ambition could even be pursuing those things that will protect us from us experiencing our greatest fears. What do I mean by that? Well, we all have what are called core fears. They come from core needs deep within us, within our spirit and our soul that haven't been met. And therefore, we feel insecure. We feel unsafe, inadequate. You know, one of the ways these core fears are lived out is through our selfish ambition. Because whatever ambition we have is often about protecting us, achieving significance for us, gaining that elusive feeling of being worthwhile. Self, uh, selfish ambition is what can drive us to make sure that our needs are met no matter how it treats the people around us. In fact, it may not even matter what it does to those closest to us, our church family, our, our friends, our, closest, our small group, as long as our need is met. But when life is all about us, we can really make a mess of things. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is some of this ringing true within you as we talk here? You know, maybe for you, selfish ambition is lived out being the funny guy in the crowd. And you'll even do that at someone else's expense. Well, that doesn't help us in our relationships. It only makes people feel a bit off about us, perhaps even wounded. Self selfish ambition isn't the only way we cover up or protect ourselves from some of the uncomfortable feelings that we have inside. But it is the one that the Apostle Paul here says is very significant in destroying unity. You know, when I was early on in my journey of inner healing, where God was beginning to clean up the mess inside of me, I was spending some time with mentors of mine in a prayer ministry setting where we were exploring some of the hurts that I've experienced in life. And at the end of our time, they encouraged me to meditate on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. That's our text here, right here, today. Thinking it was a bit of an odd request, I choose to follow through. And for the next two weeks, my quiet time with God is spent meditating, memorizing these verses. For days, I wasn't getting anything out of it. It was just head knowledge of things that are important as we're on a journey towards God in the context of community. Not a big deal, yada, yada. But I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to keep doing this because I had given my word that I would. It's important for me to keep my word. Then one day, I'm driving on the way to the church that we were planting downtown. I'm driving up Bellamy Hill 
coming around the Laurent revolving restaurant. And when I glance at the church that we were meeting at the time, this text comes to mind immediately. And I hear, I sense the Holy Spirit say to me, selfish ambition is your issue. And I see it. In a flash, I see how so much of my life is consumed looking after my needs, trying to fill the emptiness that I felt deep inside, trying to get rid of the negative emotions that I had been carrying all, it just seems like all the time. I see how it's limiting my ministry because God will not share his glory with another. I see how it's affecting my marriage and my parenting and my key relationships and, and people in my church. And I remember feeling so overwhelmed. How could something be so comprehensively affecting my life and relationships and I couldn't even see it? It was as if every brick I had used to build my life on was covered with this mortar of selfish ambition. I feel conviction to the core. And then I remember that conversation with Jeff, that lifeguard instructor. My comment to him that day about being a pastor of a large church was selfish ambition. It was coming from my core fear of being insignificant and not worthwhile. The belief that if I could just pastor a large church, I would prove that I'm worth something. That's what was driving me. Paul says, in order to pursue unity, rejecting selfish ambition is part of addressing what creates a mess. The next thing he says is we need to relinquish vain conceit. Verse 3, do nothing out of vain conceit. How would you define this? This was a word in Greek that was often used throughout the Greco-Roman world to describe those who think too highly of themselves. In English, vain means to excessively be concerned about our appearance, excessively concerned about our achievements. It is a focus on things that don't have lasting value, that don't have lasting significance or, or importance, stuff we buy, our looks, our work, our position. If you're honest, any of this true for you? Conceit means an excessively proud person or favorable opinion about our abilities, opinion about our stuff or our achievements. Perhaps we all know someone who's conceited, someone who has the highest opinion of themselves and they love to talk about it. But really, who... Who wants to be around a person like that? Vain conceit could simply be empty glory, purposeless self-centeredness. This is what got Lucifer into such trouble. According to both Isaiah and Ezekiel, God had created Lucifer with breathtaking beauty and given him considerable power in the heavenly realm. But it all went to his head. He got puffed up. That's vain conceit. 
Then he determined he wanted to become like God. Well, that's selfish ambition. And he was kicked out of heaven along with one-third of the angels. Think about it. Lucifer was the first one to create disunity. He created the first church split. And the selfish ambition to be like God is how he enticed Eve and then Adam to sin against God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Paul says, these things work against us in relationship. Now, I want you to hear me. There's nothing wrong with nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with looking our best. There's nothing wrong with having a, a sense to, or to be a high achiever and feeling a sense of healthy pride by what we go do and the quality of what we achieve. But everything in this life either rots, it rusts, or it decays. And so if these things are achieving for us what we think we are lacking deep inside, it will hinder our relationships because these things become more important than the people that we're with. Paul says we need to relinquish. Let selfish, let vain conceit go. He knows that if these attitudes go unchecked, they will hurt our ability to live in unity with other believers. Thirdly, Paul turns his attention from the negative now to more of the positive. In order for us to pursue unity, we need to choose humility, verse 3. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. What I find fascinating here is that humility is the exact opposite of both selfish ambition and vain conceit. At our service on Christmas Day that Pastor Nathan was talking about, we will be looking at how Jesus, who is God, that's coming next week as we explore his deity, he chooses to be the direct antithesis, the exact opposite of selfish ambition by pouring himself out. His mindset is so contrary to what this world values. And the contrast of vain conceit is him humbling himself to death on a cross. There is no claimed deity among any of the world religions, go study this for yourself, that upholds a God who walks in this kind of humility. It is absolutely astounding. Verse 3 again, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now, because of the character of God, and Jesus demonstrates this through his life, humility is a unique Christian value. This value stands not only in utter contradictions to the values of the Greco-Roman world, but also of our own culture. Humility is not generally considered a virtue. It's considered a weakness, a shortcoming, something that other people can take advantage of. But it says here, consider others better than yourselves. Now, in my understanding of the Greek, the English word here, better, is not from the sense of thinking that everybody else is on a higher plane than us or is better in, in a, on a comparison scale, because that can be false humility. What it appears that Paul means here is more along the lines of not prejudging a person's heart or motivation. When we know the darkness, when we know the pride, 
We know the selfish ambition. We know the brokenness of our own heart and how the things that get in our own life get in the way of our relating to other people. It shades. We often shade others with those same issues. The context here is selfish ambition, vain conceit. And he's saying, instead, he said, considering others to be better than ourselves would then be to start from the place that we assume that they're better than us because we know of our own darkness. We don't prejudge them. We assume the good and then let them prove us wrong. Humility grates against the very core of our sinful nature. Humility is absolutely not what Lucifer demonstrated when he wanted to become like Almighty God and was kicked out of heaven. His name is Satan now because he is the one who opposes God and all that God stands for. So whenever we want to, whenever we don't want to walk in humility, then we know who's behind that. And when we choose not to, we, knew, we know who we're agreeing with. 1 Peter 5, 6, all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you notice that? God actually opposes the proud. Now, at one point in my journey of fighting against or addressing pride, quite honestly, I wasn't sure I actually wanted to do the work to get rid of it, to eliminate it from my life. It wasn't until I read this verse that I understood what the Holy Spirit was saying here. It shook me to the core, and it shook me out of my complacency. God actually opposes the proud. When we allow ourselves to walk in proud pride, God actually starts to work against us and our pride. And I don't know about you, but I don't want God working against me. This life has enough of everything the world dishes out to us. I don't need God working against me as well. Now, that doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens to us in this life is because God is working against our, our pride. Life's just not that simple. We live in a broken world. Honestly, I don't know all the ways that God, what, what it looks like when God opposes us. But is, it is something I believe we need to take very seriously. And if we do find that bad things are happening to us, perhaps it's helpful for us to ask the Holy Spirit if he's trying to expose this pride within our own heart. You know, I felt hopeless. I felt frustrated at some point. When I, when I, I knew there was work that God had to do in my heart, I just couldn't seem to access it for whatever reason. Was there nothing that I could do in the meantime to lessen these things and their influence in my life and the, the mess that it was creating? Well, then I learned the next verse here that Peter talks about. We just looked at 1 Peter 5, but here's verse 6. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. You see that? Humble your, say it outside, out loud. Humble your, humble yourselves before God. That's a choice we get to make. 
And so immediately I begin to make these choices, especially in areas where my pride loved to thrive. How did I do it? With a very simple phrase. Sometimes I'd speak this out loud. Sometimes it was just inside. But the phrase is simply this. I humble myself and my flesh in Jesus' name. Let's say that phrase out loud. I humble myself and my flesh in Jesus' name. After I would make that decision, I began to notice that my attitude would be different. My interactions with people that I was um, interacting with was different. The pride and the selfish ambition, the vain conceit, were not winning the day anymore. It's a simple little choice that we can make until some of the roots of these things are pulled out of our life. If we want to get along with others in the kingdom of God, we need to choose humility. Paul then says, we can be attentive to our own interests. Verse four, each of you should look not only to your own interests. Now, this instruction actually, I have found a little surprising. There have been seasons in my life and for others that I know where the thought was that to be really spiritual meant that we denied certain things. We denied ourselves anything of pleasure, anything of goodness or enjoyment. It's like having a self-depreciating perspective where we think in a victim mentality that my needs and my interests really are nothing. No. Paul knows that part of godly maturity is accepting responsibility for our lives and for our needs and our choices. And so we do have personal needs that with God's help, we are responsible to meet, to look after. If today is your Sabbath, and you want to spend some quiet time on this or some other day, I would encourage you to study 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You know, for our own personal health, there are times that we need to keep boundaries in our life. It's part of accepting responsibility for our own health, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. And God has created each of us unique with all kinds of different interests that go beyond our needs. The Holy Spirit is saying here through Paul that that's not just okay, but that's good. That's good. It's healthy for us to pursue interests and hobbies that are life-giving to us. These interests are gifts from God, and they are intended for our good. But another part of the problem is that we can get too focused on our interests. Notice here that Paul says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, verse 4, but also to the interests of others. So lastly, Paul says here that we are to give special consideration to the interests of others. Now, there are times that all of us have needs that other people can meet and they help us with. That's part of living in community. That's part of bearing one another's burdens. But it is God's intention overall that we are able to care for ourselves and steward our finances in such a way that we can care for someone else. We can be a blessing to others. You know, I love a phrase that a friend of mine used to use all the time, in honor, preferring another. He would use that when he was choosing to go last in the food line when he would choose parking stalls that were farther away, allowing the better and closer parking stalls to be 
given to somebody else. Perhaps it was opening the door and let somebody else go first. You know, if you were to trace philanthropy through history over the last 2,000 years, you would see that it was Christ followers who were behind movements like hospitals and schools and medical research and much more. Why? Because this character quality is a high value to God. It's part of his essence, part of his DNA. It's important to him. And it's what we as a church are all about. Why are we a two-wing church where there's this larger group where we gather like this on weekend services and then there's small group? It's because our discipleship and our care for others is best done in the context of small group, where small groups are actually the church. We live like the church. We live out what it means to, to, to live life together in community. Galatians 6.2, share each other's burdens in this way, obey, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Giving special consideration to the interests of others is the heart behind, quite frankly, every ministry that we as a church do. If you think of Millwood's Christian School, what was the heart? It was minister to our next generation and to raise them up to be followers of Jesus Christ, passionately loving God. I think about our out-of-school care, our prayer ministry, our, our youth, young adults, men's, women's ministry. Even consider our media ministry. They exist to serve so that the rest of us can more effectively reach other people's needs. It's what we do. And especially our care closet. Seeking to meet the needs of new, create, new Canadians and others in our community is what drove this ministry in the first place. And to see how it has grown, there are many people in our community whose primary interest is food and shelter for this next week, for this next month. And so I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that takes impacting our community serious. Is this what you're about? Or have you gotten so wrapped up in your own business? chasing some elusive carrot out in front of you that you've only been focusing on your own interests. You know, God loves us so much that he didn't, he didn't focus on his things. Jesus gave up what he had in heaven to come and meet our needs to communicate God's love for us, his grace and his mercy poured out for us. Jesus demonstrates that our needs are more important than his. And that's what he calls us to do to others, is to serve. You know, it's been a journey for me to address these issues in my heart I'm so thankful for the emotional healing that I've received over the years. I could tell you the times that he's set me free from these things, how he's healed some of the brokenness, he's healed some of the, the pain where, and the fear where this stuff has come from, but those stories will have to be for another time. I'm just so thankful for the ways that he's led me to repent 
and to kill these things within me. I would not be the man I am today. I could not be doing what I am today if it wasn't for what God had done in my heart. I am so thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit. So for those of us who haven't been walking in these things, this is a great opportunity to start. Is it time for some confession? Time for some repentance? Confession simply means to agree. Yeah, this is true. This is what's been going on in my heart. This is the way I've been living. Repentance says that I'm going to live, I'm going to, I'm going to think differently about these things. I'm going to choose to live differently. We're going to give you just a few moments here to do some business with God. Let me pray, and then there will be some questions for you to reflect on before we come into our communion service here today. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you want us to live in unity. You want us to live in healthy relationships with you and with each other. And you know that some of these things get in the way. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, I trust that you've already been speaking to us here. I ask, would you help us? Would you give us the courage to do business with you now? I guard this time in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I give you freedom to do a work within our heart now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This communion table represents what Jesus did for us. He gave up what he had in heaven to come be one of us, to suffer and to die so that we could experience forgiveness of sin and we could experience a relationship with God for real, for ourselves, and that we can come to know him intimately and, per and, and personally and then walk the rest of our life with him. That's what this table represents. So as we partake here today, in a minute, I'm just going to ask you to come out of your seat. We've got four tables, two in the front, two in the back. We also have one up in the balcony. Come to the table. You can pick up your bread and your cup, and then you can go back and sit down at your seat. I just encourage you to hold it, and we will partake together. There's also an elder. Uh, located in each, at each table. If you have questions or you'd like to pray, have them pray with you, you could, you could just step to the side and do that real quick if you want. But this is the time for us to do some business with God, to reflect and to, and to celebrate. But let me just say that if you are someone who has not made this choice yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then I encourage you, it's probably best that you don't partake. No one's going to be looking. No one's going to be watching. This is, this is business that, yes, we do it in community, but it's also very personal between us and God. So I'd encourage you to hold off and instead take these moments to determine 
What will you do with Jesus Christ in your life? What will you do? Let me pray, and then I invite you to come. God, I thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, would you continue to work with us and and move within us? And for anyone here who has not received you yet, would you reveal the truth of Jesus in these moments? And Holy Spirit, would you manifest your presence, giving all of us a fresh sense of your presence and your love? I commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to come. You know, at the last meal that the disciples had with Jesus, it says, while they were eating, Jesus broke bread. He gave thanks, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you did not stay in heaven, but you came to be one of us. You gave your body for us. By your stripes, by your, the whippings and the suffering that you went through, we can experience healing, physical, emotional, mental. There's healing available in what you did for us. And so as we partake today, we remember and we say thank you. In your name, amen. Let's eat together. says, then he took the cup, he gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, we know that by your blood that was shed and by our trusting in that work that you did, we receive forgiveness of sins. We are seen in your sight just as though we've never sinned. You see us pure and clean, not defiled anymore. And so would you give us a fresh sense, each one of us, now as we partake of that refreshing, that cleansing, that purity that comes because your blood cleanses us from all sin and the stain that sin leaves on us in our spirit, in our soul, our body. 
So as we drink now, we remember, we say thank you, and we worship you in your name. Amen. Let's drink. Why don't we stand? Let's worship. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website, Facebook, or on YouTube and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.